So as we get started today, <clears throat> I'll tell you a fun thing um, that maybe will help you understand a little bit about like the dynamic between Leah and I. Um, she loves to scare me. It's her favorite thing. I don't love it <laughs> at all. But she likes to hide around corners and startle me. And she's like this big. So she's really scary when she's coming out of the corner because you're not sure what it is. And it's so short, it's coming at you that way. You're like, oh, gosh. But um, so she loves to do that. And it's not funny, but she thinks it's really funny. And uh, so, you know, she loves to do that. Um, and then as a, as a kid, I used to be afraid of spiders. They're still not like my favorite thing. Like I'll pick them up and I'll touch them. I, they don't bother me that bad uh, as much as they used to. But when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't like spiders at all. Um, and then I went to, on a mission trip to Guatemala, which is down, you know, it's kind of in the rainforest there in Guatemala. And they don't have like spiders like we do here. They have, like you guys seen Living with the Dinosaurs? They're like those kind of spiders. They're not like spiders, but they're like those kind of spiders. And I was on a missions trip down there a couple of years ago. And I was going into the bathroom, and in the section, it's called the, it's called the Promised Land. It's right on the lake, and that's where the mission folks would stay as we're getting ready to do, you know, go out and do God's work, wherever it was. Um, and there were showers in there. And uh, you go in, and the shower is very rudimentary. It's just a, you know, thing coming out with a wooden stall, just a simple stand-up shower. Um, and I go in there, and when I go in there, I see a spider that's, that's you know, I don't want to seem dramatic, but it's probably, probably about that big in the corner, okay? Now, I don't have arachnophobia, but I also didn't have a whole lot of clothes on either. And I ain't a fan of those things anywhere near me, period, with clothes on, let alone with clothes off, because now I'm exposed. And I saw it, and I was like, okay, this is not cool. So I do what any grown man does. I go get my friend who's not afraid of spiders. And I went and I got my friend Chris Wagner, and I was like, dude, and at first I'm trying to play it off like the cool guy. Oh, man, you guys should see this huge spider. Somebody else should take care of it, but you should see this huge spider, man. And then they come in, a couple of the guys come in. I put my clothes back on at this point, just so we're all on the same spot in the story. I, I put my clothes back on in the middle of that. Um, and then... My friend Wagnon comes in, and he's like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, so he's far taller than me. And this thing's up in the thing. It's like moving around, and I'm like, ugh. And then he reaches up. He goes, oh, yeah, look at that guy with his bare hand like a Neanderthal. It was insane. It's like a bare hand just slapped that puppy, then it fell down. He picked it up with his bare hands, no gloves, nothing. Nothing could have still been alive. Could have been poisonous. Who knows? We're lucky he's still here. And then he takes it. And he throws it away, and I'm just, I'm scarred at this point. Like, I'm not comfortable getting naked in that, that shower anymore at all. Um, but, I mean, it, and so I showered in fear for the rest of the time while I was on my missions trip in Guatemala. So those of you that want to sign up for the missions trip next year, hey, <laughs> make sure you're not an arachnophobiac, okay? Um, so my point is, is that we all experience fear of some, of some sort, right? For some of you, I may have given you a little bit of trauma there telling the spider story. For others of you, it's heights. Maybe you just can't stand heights. You hate heights. For some of you, maybe it's bugs. You don't like bugs. You don't want bugs anywhere near you. Uh, for some people, you know, it's, it's, I have a fear of people, right? I don't want the people. I'm not interested in people. Um, maybe, maybe those are the ones that we're comfortable talking about. But maybe if we get to the root of it, maybe you have a separate fear. Like maybe you have a fear of not being liked by everybody. Or maybe you have a fear of losing the job. Or maybe you have a fear of letting somebody down. Or maybe you have a fear of missing out or letting your friends down if you don't show up. Um, maybe you have a fear of 
not providing for your family, not measuring up, not being capable of doing something. We all ex- struggle and uh, experience fear. And although I haven't had this conversation with you, I know that if you had a piece of paper and a pen, you could write down the thing that scares you. Now, maybe you wouldn't get up and share that with the group, but you have something that scares you. You have something that scares you. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, fear will begin to take root in our lives and it will keep us from achieving what God has for us. Because the number one one of the number one things the enemy will do is the enemy will prop up something that you're afraid of to make whatever it is seem really, really big. That spider was probably not that large, okay? I would argue it was, but it probably wasn't. But for me, it was gigantic. And maybe that's the same way, and I believe that's the same way it happens for us as it relates to our fears, is they feel far larger. In fact, especially when you've overcome a fear, they feel far larger than what they actually are. We're in a new series titled The Walking Dead. And the subtitle is Alive on the Outside, Dead on the Inside. Have people seen the zombie series, The Walking Dead? Anybody? It's okay. You can raise your hand in this church. You're not going to get kicked out. <laughs> I, like horror, I like horror movies and stuff like that. So that's just me. I, like, I enjoy it. So if you've seen the series at all, It's all about the zombies, and if you've seen the series at all, you know the zombies, they start, and this is typical of just about any zombie flick, they start looking really alive, right? Like they get, like, they get the virus, it's it's some sort of viral infection, they get the virus and they look alive for a long time, and then over time, they start to decay from the inside out, and then before you know it, they got the crazy deformities that we know in all of the movies and all the TV shows. Here's my argument, is that the same thing can happen to you spiritually and internally. That there are things in your life and there's certain areas of your life that if you leave them unchecked, you will seem alive on the outside. I look like I got it all together, no problem at all. But slowly over time, you'll decay on the inside. It'll kill you from the inside out. And for many of us, we we pretend these things aren't real or we push them away. We're not interested in in having them. We're we're really going to push them kind of aside. I don't want to interact with it at all. But if we're not careful, these things affect all areas of our life because this is what happens. When you begin to decay on the inside, it doesn't affect just you. Over time, it begins to affect your kids. It begins to affect your family. It'll start to affect your work. It'll start to affect your team. It'll start to affect the people around you. The people that you love most will be affected because you're not taking care of what's inside. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at four different things that if we're not careful, turn us into the walking dead. We seem alive on the outside, but really internally, we're decaying. And today, the one we're going to talk about is fear. If left unchecked, fear will become the boss of your life. If left unchecked, fear will decay you from the inside out. Now, fear is experienced in the mind, but it it triggers a physical response too. Those of you that have done any study physically, you know that, that it triggers a physical response. It triggers sweating, increased heart rate, right, when when you become afraid of something, and it triggers your brain to enter into a space called fight or flight, right? You begin to either you need to get away from it or you need to fight it. In fact, what happens is, is... 
physically, the blood rushes away from your heart and to your extremities so that you can either run or so you can fight. It's one of the physical things that happens to your body. And believe it or not, fear and anxiety are very close related, and in some circles they will substitute one for the other. That anxiety is the internal response. This is what we see and experience, but it's really a fear that's kind of gotten out of control, and then before you know it, the anxiety, the levels is too, too high. But it all starts from a root of fear. Now, normally, the fight-or-flight response is exactly what we want, right? I mean, if we're thinking back in Abraham's day, or back in ancient Israel time, like we want fight or flight. If I got, if I'm sitting there, you know, herding my sheep, and a mountain lion comes up, I want that fight or flight response. I, I flight. No, I'm fighting that. I'm fighting that junkie. Let's go. I'm just kidding. I'm not fighting that. But we want that response. We want that response. But as we've moved through history and moved through life, in fact, we we actually still have that response, but we don't know how to control it. We're not sure how to interact with it. And it It actually becomes anxiety, which then rules our life. And here's what I know about you, even though we may not have had this conversation. You do not want to be ruled by fear. Believer, non-believer, I just know that you don't want to be ruled by fear. If you are a believer, then you certainly don't want to be ruled by fear because you already have a ruler of your life. You already have a king over your life. But if you're a non-believer... I know you don't want anything telling you what to do. You don't want anything destroying you from the inside out. You want to make your own decisions, and you want to make your own decisions your way, not the way that it happens. But if you're a believer, if you're not careful, fear, when left unchecked, will actually stop you from achieving what God has for you next. Because you'll be too afraid to step into the next section of your life. You'll be too afraid to move on to the next chapter. And meanwhile, your heavenly father is like, come on, I'm ready for you to go to the next one. And you're like, no, 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 Lord, I can't go. In fact, there's a a story in the Old Testament that talks specifically about that, about someone who faced their fears in the midst of a very turbulent time in Israel. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, we'll start in verse 11. Let me bring you up to speed on where we are. So this is after Joshua. Everybody remember Joshua? Joshua came. Moses, get into the promised land. Moses gets right to the edge of the promised land. God doesn't let Moses in the promised land because he disobeyed. So then God turns it over to Joshua, one of the spies who said, yes, we can take the land. Joshua goes in, conquers the land. Once he's conquered the promised land, Joshua dies off. And then... God institutes something called the judges. Now, Israel at this time operates with priests, prophets, and judges. Priests, prophets were the ones who connected with God, and they understood, you know, right from wrong, and they were kind of the leaders in making decisions. The judges were the ones that called Israel back to following what God had said or defended and protected Israel from the Midianites or from the different people that they were running into. Now, The Israelites, at this particular point, there's no king, and the Israelites are operating with the priest, prophet, judge style, except they are totally oppressed by the Midianites, totally oppressed by the Midianites. The Midianites, for seven years, they lived in fear of the Midianites. They raided the Israelites' villages in Israel. They burned home, destroyed crops, murdered families, just totally 
had them living in complete and total fear. Why? Because they wanted to conquer them. And they were never quite able to fully destroy Israel, but they came close. No? Now? Oh, was that you or me? Me? It's always me. I ask him just out of courtesy, but it's always me. <clears throat> so the Midianites left the, Israel, the, the people of Israel running and afraid, constantly living in fear because they were raided and destroying the villages. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Judges chapter 6, verse 11. If you have your Bibles and you have it open there, say word. Some of you are like, I forgot my Bible today. I don't know, don't know what to say. All right, next. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abezerite. Here, his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. See how much fear he's living in? It's a wine press, not a wheat threshing floor. But he had to do it in fear of the Midianites. He was afraid that he would be killed. So you could tell everybody's living in fear, and he's about to call Gideon, God's about to call Gideon to something very, very special. But Gideon's operating in complete fear at this point. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon didn't feel like very much of a mighty warrior. Up to this point, Gideon didn't have any experience as a warrior whatsoever. No experience whatsoever. And yet this angel shows up and says, Mighty warrior. Gideon's like, What are you talking about? That's not me. I'm not a mighty warrior. In fact, if we're honest, I'm running from the Midianites right now, God. I'm not the one that's going to step into this role. I'm not the one that's going to step in and do any of this stuff. And here's the key. This is what you've got to realize, and this is what Gideon didn't realize. Because notice, God just right out the rip called him a mighty warrior. In fact, the Hebrew actually means Yahweh's warrior or Yahweh's mighty warrior. That's what he means. And you need to know this, God always sees, always sees way more in you than you see in yourself. Before he's called Gideon to anything, before Gideon had anything on his resume, God called him a mighty warrior. Well before any of the calling to go and fight the Midianites, before any of that, God just shows up and says, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, dude, that's not me. God says, yes, it is. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, meaning if you're paying attention, God, if you're there, why has all this happened to us, to Israel? Where are all his wonders, the Lord's wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian? Gideon says the same thing any of us would say. Hold on a second. You say I'm called, and you say that we're supposed to be here, but God, where's the evidence of that? Because I don't see any evidence that says that you're here. Maybe, maybe you've said that before. Maybe you've had that moment before in your life where God kind of spoke something over you, and you're like, Lord, I don't see any evidence of it. If you're with me, which is, I guess, what you're trying to say, and if you're going to be there and provide, I don't see any evidence of it whatsoever. 
You've forgotten about us. In fact, Gideon probably thinks, you've forgotten about me completely. The Lord turned to him and said, go in your strength, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Next phrase, am I not sending you? To which Gideon sits back and goes, hold on, we just, we just, we just went over this. I'm not a warrior. You haven't shown up in the past, or at least I don't see it. Now, there had been judges before this. We're in chapter 6, so there had been judges before this. There had been judges that had, God had used to deliver Israel before, so Gideon just didn't see it from his perspective, which is important. But Gideon sits back and goes, wait a second. Now you're saying you're sending me. You're not sending me. <coughs> I'm going to get a bottle of water. how dry my throat was before I got up here. Lesson learned. I just gave the camera people a heart attack when I started moving that far. <laughs> Chrissy's going to be real mad after service. Just put a transition in there. Just cut it out. Anyway, <clears throat> he says, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? God says, I am the one sending you. Don't forget, I'm the one that called you you're my mighty warrior. I am sending you. And come on, Gideon's still like, it's not me. I'm not the one that's going to do that. No way. And then, verse, because in verse 15, he says, pardon me, Lord. Same thing again. I didn't see you show up before, but pardon me. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Now, I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It's perfect. Because the New Living Translation says, but Lord, the NIV does a really good job translating it. It's saying, pardon me, Lord. I don't think that's what he said. <coughs> I think he said, but Lord, I think, I mean, have you ever had that moment? God called you to something? But Lord, I can't. But Lord, I'm not capable but Lord, I'm not good enough. But Lord, I can't witness to my friend. I don't know enough. I'm not capable. Lord, I can't lead my family spiritually. I'm not even sure what to do. Lord, I'm not going, Lord, I can't stop partying and living this life because if I do, what happens if they don't like me? But Lord, I can't. Maybe you've had a but Lord moment. Maybe for some of us, we have it and we, we kind of go, but Lord, <laughs> what is this? It's extra? I didn't know. I work here, y'all. I didn't know we had these in the building. <clears throat> in the nursery. That's why I don't go back there. <clears throat> But we sit back and we go, but Lord, I can't. I'm not, I can't. I'm not capable. Lord, I can't, I can't afford to start doing things the way you called me to. But Lord, I can't. And listen to what God says. Listen to his response. This is key. The Lord answered him, I will be with you. Now, before this, he's already said he's a mighty warrior. <clears throat> 
And then, you know, he's let, he's let Gideon have his moment, right? We've all had those. We've all had those moments. Lord, I'm not going. You can't make me, right? I have a five-year-old at home, and he disagrees with me a lot. It's hard to believe. Very hard to believe. However, he disagrees. And his favorite thing to do is to go, but dad, and he stomps the floor. Now, I see and I hear Gideon do the same thing. But Lord, and then I think God just goes, hey, hey, I'm going to be with you. You're super scared. This is a big deal. I know you're very afraid. But listen, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So often we wrestle with things and we get focused on our ability. But notice what God does. He shifts his perspective. I'm going with you. <coughs> Alone, you couldn't do anything. That's his point. Gideon, if, you were, if I was just sending you in your strength, sure, maybe you can't make it. Maybe all those fears and doubts are correct. But Gideon, I'm not sending you just in your strength. Gideon, I'm sending you in mine. And I am going with you. Because sometimes it's not about what you can do. Often it's about what God can do through you. But so often we get stuck on the I'm not capable. And God says, oh, I know. I know you're not. When God called me to lead a church, I was like, bro, wrong guy. You got the wrong one. You must have met the dude next to me. It was the other Brandon in line, not me. It was a different one. And in my strength, I can't. But I heard the same thing. I am going with you. Well, that changes everything. That changes everything for Gideon. So he's told after this, Gideon's told to go smash the altar in the village. And Gideon's still operating in fear. So he does it at night. He doesn't want to do it during the day. He does it at night. And then God tells him that he'll be with him, but Gideon needs some reassurance. And then the famous moment with the fleece comes up. You guys have heard of the moment with the fleece from the, the felt graphs in Sunday school? Where Gideon goes out, he places the fleece on the ground, and he says, Lord, if you're going to be with me, I need to see you ensure that this fleece is, dry, is wet and everything else around the ground is dry. And sure enough, Gideon goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, that's what happens. The fleece is wet. Everything else is dry. Okay. Gideon needs one more sign after that. Just needs one more. He just, just needs one more. He says, you know what? Okay, God, reverse it. I'm going to go to bed tonight. When I go to bed tonight, I want to see the fleece dry, Lord. Everything else around the fleece needs to be wet. Then I know you're going with me. Gideon goes to bed. Gideon wakes up, finds the fleece exactly as he had asked. And all of a sudden, Gideon's out of excuses. Just totally out of excuses. Maybe you've had that moment. Maybe you've gone up and you've said, Lord, if this is going to happen, I need it to happen this way, and it happens that way. And you're like, well, Lord, if I'm going to do it, right? And then you give him another one, and maybe it ends up that way too. And you're like, oh, man. That's Gideon. Gideon right now is like, okay, here we go. This is it. So Gideon gathers everybody. He gathers all of the people in Israel, all the warriors that he needs, he ends up getting together 32,000 men. He's ready to go. Okay, he's going to win this battle. God told him he's going to win. God's going with him. He's like, let's go. 
And he takes them out, getting them ready for the battle against the Midianites. And as he goes out, the Lord stops him. He says, ho, 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 hold on one second, one second, one second. Hold on. We're not done yet. Um, Gideon, you have too many men, he says in chapter 7, verse 2. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. They would say, my own strength has saved me. Now announce to your army, God says, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead, to which I think Gideon's like, can I go? Trembling in fear because you just changed, you just audibled again, Lord. I mean, I'm done with this. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So maybe those of you that aren't military people, let me explain something to you. More bodies are better in war. They just are. More bodies, better in war. Nine times out of ten, the army with the bigger army wins. Now, we could get into historical evidences where tactics matter. Tactics absolutely matter, okay? They absolutely matter. But generally, no, actually not generally, nobody is going to turn down and a couple extra warm bodies on the battlefield. Period. At all. Whatsoever. So the idea you're not only sending people away, but you're sending people away as I'm going up against one of the more powerful armies in this area of the world. And Lord, you just sent away 12,000. Gideon hangs around, says, okay, okay, okay. I'm still here, I'm still here. But the Lord said to Gideon, and I imagine he just got mad. There are still too many men. Excuse me, Lord, can we have a, can we huddle real quick? Let's just huddle, let's just huddle, God. Too many, they're almost twice what we are right now. I had it one for one, but y'all messed that up. But here I am. I'm, I want to do it this way. I want to do it my way. I'm kind of ready. I got everything. And he says, there's still too many men. So here's what I need you to do. Take them down to the water and I'll thin them out there for you. If I say this one shall go, he shall go. But if I say this one go not go with you, he shall not go. And then that's what Gideon does. He takes his army down to the river and God goes through and explains which ones to keep and which ones to send home. And he ends with 300 men. And he's sitting with 300 against almost somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30,000 men on the other side. Not good odds, okay? Normally in the Marine Corps, we want a three to one advantage. That's like a 300 to one advantage. You don't go into those fights, but you can if God is with you. And so Gideon takes 300, finally says, okay, okay, Lord, this is, this is crazy. I'm so afraid. I don't know what to do next. Um, and then the Lord reassures him with a dream, gave a dream to one of his men. And in the dream, gave, told him exactly what to do. He said, you grab the torches and you grab trumpets and you're going to surround this giant camp. And then when I give the command, you're going to blow all the trumpets at night and you're going to wave the torches. And then I'll take care of it from there. Which I'm sure Gideon woke up like, what? You want me to do what? God's like, look, this is how I want it to go. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is what you need to do. Just trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And so Gideon does that. Gets the trumpets, gets the torches, takes the 300, encircles the Midianites in the valley. And then... In the middle of the night, they light all their torches, 
And then they blow the trumpets. And they wave the torches around while they're blowing the trumpets. The Midianites awake, and once they're awakened, they think, and rightly so, that they're surrounded. But in their mind, they're surrounded by a much larger enemy. And they've woken them up, and now we've got a shock factor going on. And so all they do is fight one another. The Israelites didn't have to go into the fight at all. They didn't lose one group of one person. Well, not one person. And then he gathers, after this, the Midianites flee because it's total chaos. They can't figure it out. They don't know what to do. They flee. And as they flee, Israel comes back together. And then Gideon is leading the 30,000 men again. He doesn't lose a single man. And maybe you sit back and you go, Brandon, what does that have to do related to the fear that I'm experiencing right now? Well, on its surface, maybe not a lot. But if we look at the entire story that God has built, throughout this story, if you pay attention, God is building Gideon up for this enormous moment at which he has to trust him in a way that he could never do otherwise. Gideon is being built up by God to trust him regardless of the fears that he's experiencing. And see, throughout this, Gideon is, God is teaching Gideon that he can rely on him. Notice everything he said, you are my mighty warrior. Gideon says, I can't do it. God goes, yes, you can. I sent you. Don't forget, I sent you. God's like, if I sent you, you can't screw this up. Somebody say amen. That's good to know. But God's like, I sent you. Just remember, I'm sending you, so go. Go ahead. Go do it. He says, no, 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 I'm too scared. Okay, well, hey, I'm going to be with you. I know you're afraid. I know you're too scared. I don't have experience, but hey, I'm going to be with you. And then he goes, okay, Lord, I'm here. I've arrived. I have over 30,000 men. And then God goes, we need to change that. I need you to trust me as I take it down to 300. I can't imagine. I don't think fear is the right word for Gideon. I think the right word is terror before he goes into that fight. I think the right word for Gideon is complete and total terror. And I think throughout the story, if you pay attention, you can almost sense Gideon's fear every step along the way. God, I can't. God, I'm not capable. God, I don't have equipped. God, I can't. God, I can't. And um, he couldn't and wouldn't have, if God hadn't been there, moved to the next step of his faith. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of doing the rain gutter regatta with my uh, kids that are in Boy Scouts. And those of you who don't know, you just build this little boat, and you put it in this little blow-up rain gutter, and then you blow it with a straw, and it's a race. My children really like to win. I don't know where they get that from, but they really like to win because Leah is so hyper-competitive. <laughs> and uh, we're there, and you know, I helped them build the boat. I actually helped Eli build the boat. And he goes in there, and the very first race, and you know, you got all the other kids racing, 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 and in the very first race, he starts blowing, the sail goes sideways, and it just doesn't work, crashes right into the side, and the other kid just blitzes the boat down the line. He got about halfway through, he got mad, slammed his straw down, and ran off. And so I did what any good dad would do. I went to go find him. 
And I saw him kneeling down, and he was so upset. I started talking to him. I said, hey, what's wrong? And eventually, you know, working with a seven-year-old takes some time. But I got to the point of it is he was afraid because he was embarrassed. And the thing he kept running into was, Dad, what if it happens again? What if I go out there? Because it was double elimination, which is really great for kids of that age to have double elimination in their psyche. I'm not kidding. It was great. It was the best thing ever. Get back on the horse, son. But to work through him and coach him with that, and then we get it, you know, kind of get him in a good spot. Like, hey, we've done this, bud. We know this works. We've been there. We've done this. We built it together. We know it works. Just a minor change. We can adjust and we can go. It's not a problem. We'll do fine. Then we get back up there, and I told him, I was like, you need to go talk to the guy and let him know you're back in the race and everything. I was like, I'm not going to go and do it. I'm not going to talk to him for you. You have to go. And he went and did that, and then he comes back. And then the very next race, he sets the boat in the water, and they're waiting, and they're holding their boat. They're waiting for the whistle to blow. And then at the very last minute, I came up behind him. I put my hand on his shoulder before they started. I said, hey, bud, I'm right here, and I love you no matter what happens. We're going to do this. We're going to do good. But I'm right here. Because his biggest fear was being alone in that failure. His biggest fear was not measuring up because he saw so many of the other kids winning. He was paralyzed by it at first. But all he needed was his dad to come up and say, I'm right here with you. And when I backed away, dad going to crush the kid. Crush the next kid, crush the next one, and finished in third place. So, yeah, he, he did great. But sometimes I think that we go through life when we're experiencing fear and we hit those moments of, God, I'm not capable, I'm not good enough, I don't know how to make it through this next season. You've called me to take that new job, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. God, you've called me into this next relationship, but I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. God, you've called me to, to stand up for my family, but I don't, I, I'm too afraid to do that. And I think that for many of us, we need to hear the same thing that he heard. I'm right here with you. We need to hear the same thing Gideon heard. I'm sending you, and I'll be with you. So often for us, when it comes to fear, we feel like we're alone. It's one of the biggest problems is we're afraid of moving to the next step of our life or the next thing God has called us to or the next season or the next chapter. We're afraid because we feel like we're alone because it's real scary over there. I'm real comfortable right here. I know exactly what's going on here. It's real scary over there. So I'm not sure what to do next. And and I certainly don't want to go there because I'm afraid, but I am alone. And the truth is, God's prepared you. God's prepared you. The same way that he prepared Gideon, he's prepared you. So next time you hit those moments and you're not sure how to make it to the next season, you're not sure what to do next when God calls you to the next part of your life or you see it, you're right on the edge and you're about to go, but fear has gripped you. And before you know it, fear is what's the filter you're making all your decisions through. I want you to remember this. God's prepared me and he's with me. God's prepared me and he's with me.
for so many of us, we're afraid. We're afraid because we feel alone. But the truth is, we're not alone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not alone. He's in the fight with you. He called Gideon, equipped and prepared Gideon over time. And then when push came to shove, he showed up. And Gideon had to get out of his zone of fear, had to move out of his space and go into what God had called him. And Gideon goes on to be one of the, the greatest judges in the entire book. And Israel is set apart for a period of time because of Gideon defending them against the Midianites. But he had to step out of that box of fear because God prepared him. And then God was with him. So when you hit those moments where fear is taking control and it's stopping you from doing what God has called you or stopping you from what you know you should do, whatever that is, when it's just like a total blockade, I want you to remember this and say it to yourself. Say, God is with me and he's prepared me. He's prepared me and he's with me. I want you to think for a minute, just for a moment. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Maybe this might give you a little motivation. I wonder how many things we may have missed because we allowed fear to be the loudest voice how many things of the Lord that we've missed because we allowed fear to just overtake every decision of our life. Or maybe just for a season of our life, the voice of fear was so loud that when God called us and said, mighty warrior, we said, not me. I'm working in the wine press. Not me. I wonder what we have missed. I wonder what would have changed in our life if we would have moved with this voice of God instead of listening to the voice of fear. Because like I said, the positions are going to jockey for one another. You're either going to obey the voice of fear or you're going to obey the voice of God. One of the two is going to be the loudest in your head. And when fear starts to take over and it's really loud, God's prepared me and he's with me. So fear you're not the boss. Fear's not in charge. Fear's not ruling over you. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you already have a Lord over your life. You can't allow fear to take control. Allowing fear to take control means that you're going to miss the best things that God has for you. So fear, you're not in charge. You have no stake. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you would like to have some other Lord over your life opposed to fear, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Because some of us, maybe we've done some reflection and we realize that we need God in our life. We realize that we need Jesus to take lordship over our life and remove the things that are there right now. So if that's you and you're ready to take that step to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life, I would love to pray with you just a minute. So let's pray. Lord, I pray this with anybody 
who's decided that they want a Lord over their life that is not fear. Father, we come together in one voice and say that we accept you. We admit that we need your saving grace. We need your love. We need your grace that justifies us to you. We believe in Jesus and we accept him into our life and into our hearts in our life to live for Him. Lord, for anybody who's already a follower of You, but now they're struggling because fear has taken a position that it doesn't deserve and fear is taking a position that it cannot be. Lord, would You please help us topple that king? place Jesus back where he belongs, as the king of our life, as the Lord over our life. Help us do that every day, every step of the way. Lord, we love you. We praise you. The church said.